Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 417 in our weekly series. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're out there raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups developing research, publishing case studies and shining light on great practice. You can visit us at engageforsuccess.org to learn more and while you're there, why not sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'm Andy Gorham, your host today and founder of BizJuicer, a consultancy that helps companies connect their purpose and proposition to their people, creating stickier more successful businesses from the inside out. And today, I'm speaking with our special guest, Emily Golden, who's a master certified coach with 17 years of corporate human resources experience and practical coaching experience in excess of two and a half thousand hours across individual and group coaching. And importantly for today, she's the author of The New Golden Rule, The Professional Perfectionist's Guide to Greater Emotional Intelligence, a more fulfilling career and a better life. And today, Emily will share her insights into why, why we need a new golden rule and how we can follow some simple three-step processes to unlock total life improvement. Hi, Emily. I fancy a bit of that. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andy. I'm excited to be here. Now, I think we could all do with some, some life improvement. And, but before you reveal those, uh, those secrets, can you just tell us a little bit about you and, and what you're working on at the moment? Absolutely. So I am an executive and career coach. I have the pleasure um, and the privilege of working with high-performing professionals who are looking to um, either get to the next level, uh, they're stuck with a, um, with a, a, a challenge in their career, or perhaps they are looking to make a career pivot and don't quite know where to go. So um, I get to support these people. I work with both individuals as well as corporations. Lovely, fantastic. And I guess this is where the books come from. So let's, let's, let's think about the book. Let's start at the beginning, Emily. When, when you talk about the new golden rule, what firstly was that old golden rule and why did it need changing? So the old golden rule is to treat others the way that you want to be treated. And this sounds great in theory, but as a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist, the golden rule had me prioritizing everyone else before myself. I was overworking. I was constantly on, and I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. I was consumed with what will people think of me and how do I make sure that people think positively of me? Frankly, as, even as I'm talking about it, remembering those days, it was surely exhausting. And <laughs> of course, the, that is the word, isn't it? Exhausting. Yeah. It must have been exhausting. It was exhausting. And, you know, the idea behind treating other people the way that you want to be treated treated um, is, is really noble. Um, and what I say 
is that we can't actually show up for others the way that we want to um, and, and our highest and best self unless we're treating ourselves with kindness and care first. Well, there's a lovely analogy, isn't there? When you fly on a plane, they always tell you to put your own oxygen mask on first, right, before putting it on somebody else. So I guess, I guess that's the same thing we're talking about here, looking after yourself, then you're in a fit state to help others. Absolutely. And this is so obvious, yet it's so under um, uh, underutilized in my experience. Frankly, in my corporate work and now as a coach, I often see people forgetting this really simple piece of, of wisdom. And that is what had me write the book. And, and why do you think it is overlooked so much? We live in a culture of striving for uh, success externally. And I think that it's very easy to get caught up in what is outside of us. Um, and, and so simply said, I think it that the, the reason we so easily forget is because we're focused on the external rather than the internal. And in my opinion, we need to be much more balanced about this. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. If if I could just pop back to what you mean, you talked about feeling this state of exhaustion whilst trying to sort of do everything for others, and 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 like you say, that the, the people pleaser in you took over. But what was all this other expected behaviour doing to you? What what other than exhaustion? How was it making you feel? Great question. So I always like to say that I was using other people as a validation vending machine for myself <laughs> to feel better about myself. So what was it doing? Yes, I was exhausted. I was not showing up um, the way that I wanted to for my family, for my friends, ironically, for the people who are most important to me. Instead, I was focusing my energy on showing up for people who were kind of on the periphery. It's almost like I was telling myself, well, the people that are closest to me know me and love me, and I've got to go out there and hustle for validation from those that aren't in my inner circle. And that, that had an effect. It had an effect on my relationship with my husband. Um, there was definitely not enough attention. I was not giving my husband um, enough attention. And, look, he's a really good guy, and he didn't um, make a pitch a fit about it. But in hindsight, um, I, I see how I could have been showing up for him so much more powerfully. Um, but, see, again, at the core, I wasn't showing up for me. Um, and so I was searching outside for that um, for that reassurance. And then, Andy, uh, on June 10th, 2010, I hit what I call my rock bottom, and that okay, was wow. I was I was operating um, on on this you know people pleasing perfectionist, running for other people, and my daughter was diagnosed with a neurological condition called. Tourette syndrome. Uh-huh. She was only five. Oh, my gosh. And 
suddenly this, my life became stressed. Like every space I was in became stressed. I was stressed at work, trying to perform, trying to please. And I was stressed at home in a new way. Um, I, I now not only had two children, um, and I was, you know, still on the newer side of this mothering thing, and then this diagnosis, this complex diagnosis gets thrown into the mix. And I, I, was, I was gutted. I was, yeah. I was empty. And I just, I knew there had to be a better way, but I, I didn't know what it was. Oh, well, I can completely empathize with that. I mean, you are, I mean, I think the word gutted or that, that sensation of feeling completely gutted is such a strong, visceral um, explanation. There's, there's nothing left inside, right? Everything's been taken out. You feel hollow. And um, that's, that's, I guess, for a lot of people, a starting point for something new, like you're, like you're saying. So you are at your lowest point and I'm guessing at this stage, you know, something inspired you to make that change, right? To find that better way. What what was it, and and how did it come to you? So I would love to say that it was this magical moment when this, the clouds parted and the sun shined down, but it <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was a series of of little things, you know. After the diagnosis, um, and my my processing the diagnosis and a series of conversations with my husband, the people closest to me, um, doing some self-reflection, just really taking a look inside myself, I um, decided that I had to make a change professionally. Control in a world that felt like uh, there wasn't a whole lot I could control. Mm. So my, my husband and I began talking about, about that, creating a plan for my career pivot. Now, I didn't, I didn't even know what I was going to do professionally. I just knew it wasn't what I was already doing as a professional in human resources. This wasn't my future. So we created a plan which included things like relocating to a city where the cost of living was a bit less. I was able to secure a new job doing the same thing, um, but I was working from home, so I had flexibility to live in a different area. And this provided me the room financially to start um, putting some monies aside. I thought, I'll go back to school. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll completely reinvent myself. It's going to take some time. But over the course of a few years, um, I stumbled upon coaching. And, okay. and, and I, I liked everything about coaching. I thought, um, I am working in human resources, and I've always loved the business of, of people. Um, I loved the idea of supporting individuals to – be their best self, live their best life. And because I was actually seeking something so radically different than the work I was doing in corporate, I thought, maybe I'll go to school to become a parent coach. Oh. And, um, yeah, having had such challenges, by, by this point, Andy, my son was also diagnosed with Tourette. So now – I am a mom of two children with special needs. 
I don't know anything about this disorder. I'm learning as I go. Um, but I noticed that a lot of people would reach out to me and say, hey, my child is experiencing X, Y, and Z. I heard yours do too. And I thought, why don't I become a parent coach? So I, with that, decided to sign up for a coaching program, which would equip me to be a coach in life and, um, and essentially every area of life. You know, fast forward, I fell in love with the transformational work, had my own transformation, and, 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 and realized that I was far closer to the work that I was meant to be doing than I uh, had known. Um, I was actually meant to be coaching executives and professionals. So not that parent coaching isn't amazing, and I will now and then pull out my coaching tools with a parent, but that's more on a volunteer basis, a more, um, you know, I, I, I donate time. Now I get to bring all the goodness of 17 years climbing the corporate ladder at large companies to, my, to the individual clients, teams, and groups that I get to work with. So and I really found my own way. Well, exactly. So let's just unpack that because it's, you know, don't even underestimate that uh, that location move and and freeing up some some money to live rather than exist. I mean, that's that's a big change in itself, right? And then listening to how you describe the sensation or the feeling or the drive that you got from your work, you, you, you're not only starting to live rather than exist, and you've got uh, the, the your two children and the the stuff they're going through to balance on, but you've also managed to tap into, I guess, tap into your purpose um, that you're now delivering on a day-to-day basis when when you're doing the coaching, right? Absolutely. And, you know, Andy, it's made me, you know, back to the original point of the impact this old way of living was having. Um, I am now able to show up for those that I love in a such in a much more present way i i enjoy being with my children so much it's the heart of my life and um it's thanks to this work that i get to support other people to enjoy and thrive in their life rather than just survive brilliant so this journey that you've been on um this is the inspiration for for the book right this is the inspiration for the new golden way Exactly. The new golden rule. The new golden rule, yeah. So so if 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 we think about that book, what was what would you say lies at the very heart of the message? So the new golden rule to treat yourself the way you want others to treat you. And at the heart that that is the heart and soul of my message and my purpose is to treat yourself with kindness, with compassion, with love and gratitude. By employing, by, by really, you know, using this, this method, um, this simple yet powerful method, you naturally show up more powerfully and more generously with others. And my block was in my own relationship with myself. I was very critical of myself. I um, was unsure, insecure of who I was. And I thought that 
if, you know, only I could prove it enough to everyone else and I could finally believe it myself, but I had it backwards. I needed to learn to give it to myself. You know, some of the things I learned to do was to really, um, to, to quiet down. I like to think of it like I'd go into my yoga mat and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd think I'd practice different um, yoga postures, but it wasn't the actual movement of my body that made the difference. It was the quieting of my mind that had me get in touch with my desires, my drive, the things that were important to me, not what everyone else, my family, as much as I love them, not what they were telling me, not what my boss was telling me or my company was telling me, but what I knew deep in my, in my heart. But until I was able to quiet down and give myself that spaciousness, it, it, my own wisdom couldn't emerge. That's really interesting. Do you, I mean, maybe it's the British person in me, but do you find people find it hard to be nice to themselves? when, when you, you, Because you talk about this stuff like it's really natural, and yet people, people find it hard to be nice to themselves sometimes, right? Treat yourself with kindness. Um, you know, show yourself some gratitude. I mean, they sound like amazing, great things, but in your experience, how hard is it for people to, to think that way? And, and then even free up the headspace to begin to, to figure these things through? It is, I say this to my clients all the time, it is mm. some of the simplest and most challenging work you will ever do. Because we have gotten a message that it is selfish to put yourself first. It is self-centered and self-absorbed to um, to, 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 to talk this way to yourself. It's arrogance and bravado. And I say that's wrong. Arrogance and bravado are masking, a, are masking insecurity. Mm-hmm. If we are not talking kindly to ourselves, how can we expect anyone else to? And to mm-hmm. your point, it is challenging. However, any of the listeners – it is the most important and powerful work and transformational work you could ever do. Because once you know who you are and what you need, the rest falls into place. Right? Like, I didn't know all those years that what I needed was, 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 was self-acceptance. I, I thought it was out there. I didn't know. I was exhausted. And I was running, hmm. running, running, playing what my first co- coach called the unwinnable game. Um, So, you know, again, I I do absolutely agree. It is, it is challenging and yet it is the most powerful work you can do. And so when you're taking people through these three steps, you mentioned that the, the three steps that will help us really find that total life improvement. Can you unpack those three steps for us? Take us through those steps. Take us through that process. Take us through that thinking that that leads to a similar journey of discovery that that you've been on and you've taken many, many clients through. Absolutely. And in the book, I outline, um, of course, I outline the three steps. I also outline, I have vignettes of clients that have been through this work with me. And um, I I love to talk about emotional intelligence and that um, the idea of emotional intelligence is woven throughout the book. The the three steps 
The three steps are what I call the archaeological dig, which I'll explain. Okay. Um, the visioning component, and then the third step, which is creating a roadmap to actualize the vision. So in the archaeological dig, I share a fundamental philosophical orientation that, um, or belief that human beings operate from two different places in life. So there's what I call the golden self, the highest and best version of you or the highest and best you, the essence of who you are, what shows up when you do. And then a survival self, which is um, this, this mechanism that is reactive, automatic, protective. These are not good and bad. These are just simply two parts of self. So in the first step, we identify the two versions or parts of you and how you are operating from these places or not. What I have found in my work is that we tend to over-index on the survival self, the mechanism that keeps us safe. Um, right. And that could be, you know, for me, a great example is perfectionism. If I keep things perfect or nearly perfect and I'm pleasing people, then I am okay. So I better, I better you know, really focus on making sure everything is, is kept perfect and people are pleased. That's how I know to feel safe. However, the truth of who I am is kind of messy. I am... Um, a very passionate, radiant, warm person who, um, you know, is, is really um, creative. And that flies in the face of this mechanism, this survival self that has me wanting to appear and occur a certain way. So in, the, in this first step, we learn to identify who you are, these two parts of self. Once you know these different parts of yourself, it makes it much easier to choose where you come from in any situation. And, and typically then, Emily, how, how long, I mean, this is a silly question, but typically how long does it take for someone to, to be able to unearth that, to dig that out and to get a proper sense of those two selves? So I always say you didn't get to be the way that you are overnight. So generally it, it, it takes some time and it takes, it, it takes, um, there's exercises in the book and in the online course that I've created that can take you through. It's not a one and done kind of thing. It's, you know, you come back over a couple of weeks. Um, in my coaching engagements, when I'm working one on one with someone, we typically are engaged for anywhere from, um, and that's, right. you know, going through this entire process from soup to nuts. Sure. So we've, we've, um, but, so we've done you know, our dig. Yep. So we've done our dig. You're then moving into this visioning piece. So, so what does that entail? So creating a vision is, um, is often uh, – people are, are – many people, most people are just moving through life on automatic. They don't have a clear vision of their life and how they want to experience their, their career and experience their life in general. Once we know the two parts of self, um, there's 
direction in the book on how to create a vision from your highest and best place. And I, I want to distinguish that it's not an automatic vision. It's not, well, I'm supposed to climb the ladder because that's, it, success looks like continuing to get promoted and leading a certain number of people and making a certain amount of money. That is a, like a societal vision. I'm actually asking you as an individual to connect to your highest self and create your vision from a place of, of possibility. Mm. Um, and, and a great example of this would be uh, um, I worked with a client who followed that formula for success himself, and he kept getting promoted, and he kept getting more responsibility, and he kept making more money, and he was miserable, more miserable with every promotion. And what he learned through our, process, our, our coaching process was that highest and best, he is a family man. Highest and best, he is very, wanting to be very connected to every point in his children's life. And he actually isn't interested in working 80, 100-hour work weeks. But he had to reckon with this survival self that said you're a failure if you take a step back. So in the visioning, we get clear on what it is you truly desire. And um, it is so, so important that you're coming from a place of possibility rather than probability. Well, I like that. I like that. So we've, and, assessed, we've assessed self. We've got this, this, this stage of really clear vision. And, and mm -hmm. then you're into road mapping. So, again, what, what's that process entail? And, and what, what do you get at the end of it? With the roadmap, we, uh, we, we pick a date in the future, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. And um, you get crystal clear about what life is like at that future point. And then we work backwards to actualize the, to actualize the vision. Um, what are the, I call them reverse milestones. What needs to happen right before that five-year mark? What, what needs to happen right before that and right before that and right before that? So um, I actually did this myself with my book. I had, um, I had visioned the day that my book was going to be published and wow. the experience of life. And then I worked backwards. What needs to happen? And not just what needs to happen in the doing, right? Like, of course, there was editing and revising and writing. But what need? like, who do I be? What's the experience that I am having at each step of the way? What you know, there's going to be moments I'm feeling pride. I bet there's going to be moments I'm feeling frustration, like kind of building all of that in. Um, mm. And in this section of the book, I talk about the, 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 um, the roadblocks, the, the, the setbacks. There are predictable events that will happen or um, experiences that will happen. Again, the frustration, the being taken off course, the unexpected, um, you know, emergence that has you not being able to write. How will you handle those things? And, you know, one of the key pieces here is to know what those, to, to prepare for those things. You don't have to know exactly what they're going to be. And then to have a plan in place of how you're going to work yourself out. Um, and for me, one of those, uh, the key levers of success is having 
support, a community of people I can turn to to support me when I'm stuck, um, a coach, of course, um, my, my daily meditation practice, my morning gratitude practice, um, my, you know, consistent practice of movement. This is where how you're living and how you're showing up really impacts what it is that you're creating. Okay. So, I mean, if you think about all the things that you've shared with us today, is there one piece that you would say is like the crucial starting point on this, on this journey of improvement? Absolutely. And that is the relationship that you have with yourself. The relationship you have with yourself is the foundation for every other relationship that you have, be it relationships with people, relationships with time, relationship with um, anything in your life that you're looking to create. It all starts with the relationship with you. So work on that relationship. You'll be golden. Yeah, what a lovely, no what a lovely way to finish that. <laughs> very, very good. And, and, and Emily, where can people find out more about the new golden uh, rule and, uh, and how they can begin to apply these, these life lessons? Absolutely. So the new golden rule dot info is the website for the book. And um, I have recently launched a uh, companion online course uh, called the new golden rule as well. And that can be accessed at golden-resources.com. Thank you very much. Well, that's, that's about all we've got time for today. Um, please don't forget to visit engagementsuccess.org to check out the show notes and all our fab free employee engagement resources. And you can also download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at your leisure. Thank you so much today, Emily, for passionately sharing your experiences and insights, and for me particularly your positivity. It's a beautiful thing. We'll be back again awesome. at the same time next week. I'm Addie Gorham, and thanks for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.